Thank you, Cooper. Well, good morning. Uh, today we are uh, continuing the sermon series we kicked off uh, when Lent began, just entitled Discipled by Jesus. And, and the, the, the idea that behind this sermon series is we're looking at different passages in the Gospels where, where Jesus interacts with people or the disciples, the disciples that they're watching. Uh, what are the lessons that we can learn from Jesus pouring into the lives of the disciples? What did he value? What should we value? Uh, how did he view God and people? How should we view God? How should we view people? How should we, what should we believe about Jesus himself? And so on and so forth. And, um, and today um, I chose this passage. The worship guide says Luke 18, but I chose the Mark uh, account of this gospel. It's the same story, but I chose the Mark account of the gospel because um, there's, there's a difference in the accounts uh, in, earlier in the chapter. Both chapters have the account of the children coming to Jesus. But um, but the beginning of the chapter, it deals with this issue of, of marriage and divorce. And so we're going to be looking at these these uh, issues. And Jesus challenges us as his disciples to see things through the lens of the kingdom of God and not the story of the world. So let's begin by looking at the story of the world, the world's story. You know, every morning, one of the things I do when I get up is I check certain websites I go to KUSports.com. I'm sure some of you go to KStateSports.com. But I go to KUSports.com. I go to Salina Journal. Uh, I go to a few other websites, news websites. And the reason I go to the news websites is because I want to know what's going on in the world. I want to know what's happening locally, what's happening in our nation, and what's happening overseas. And uh, this morning when I did that, a couple of headlines that popped up were follow-up stories. I'm sure most of you have probably heard the stories, tragic stories. One that popped up was about the young girl in South Carolina, the young woman, the college student, who got into a car she thought was driven by an Uber driver. It wasn't, and she was kidnapped and killed. Another one was about a 10-year-old kid who was killed in a road rage incident. And there were several others that were tragic as well. And I, I looked at those and, and I go, hmm, okay. And then I kind of moved on. And then I caught myself. Why am I able to read something so tragic and brutal as those stories? And then, oh, that's sad. And I kind of move on with the rest of my morning. Now, I think it's because we get so used to the story of the world. We live in a broken world. We begin to see these things as everyday occurrences. Uh, tragic, yes, but unavoidable almost. That's just the way things are. We're not surprised. We open the newspaper. We're not surprised when we see stories about corruption or crime or negative politics. When we get a credit card, we aren't surprised. We have to sign the back or learn the PIN number because we know that theft can and will happen. When we go to a store, we don't expect that we can cash out and make change for ourselves because we know that wouldn't work in the real world. We recognize we live in a broken world and we become used to it, to the story of the world, and begin to see it almost as normal. And if we're not careful, we can tend to buy into and live into the world's story. So in this passage, Jesus identifies this pattern in three areas of our lives, this tendency to buy into the story of the world. We're going to look at this first, and then we'll look at the kingdom story in reference to these issues as well. But first, let's look at the area of marriage. And earlier in, in Luke, or excuse me, Mark 10, you notice the question that's asked in verse 2. The Pharisees come up to Jesus, it says, and they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
Now, this wasn't an innocent question. Because verse 1 tells us that Jesus is back in Judea, which is where King Herod ruled. You might remember King Herod. Uh, He was the king who um, beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He cut his head off. Why? Because he divorced his wife and he married his sister-in-law, his brother's wife. And and, and John the Baptist called him on it, uh, called him out publicly on this. And so he is beheaded. And the Pharisees know this. They're hoping the same thing happens to Jesus, that Jesus will lose his head over his answer to this question. It's a loaded question. And verse 2 tells us they're even asking this question in order to trip Jesus, to trap him. And then Jesus responds. Jesus asks them what the Bible says about marriage. And, and, he, and then in verse 4, the, the Pharisees, they, were, they refer to Deuteronomy 24 where Moses gives laws regulating and controlling divorce under strict guidelines. And you'll notice that Jesus asked what Moses commanded. They answer what Moses permits. There's a distinction. Moses never commanded or even commended divorce. He merely permits it due to the sin and brokenness of living in a broken world as broken and sinful people. See, in Jesus' day, divorce had become commonplace. And by the time that the Pharisees asked Jesus this question, the common view was that a man could divorce his wife for basically any reason. For instance, there was a rabbi at the time who was teaching that a man could divorce his wife if she burnt a meal or if he found somebody who was better looking than her. So they took divorce for granted as something that was almost, almost inevitable. It was normalized. And let's be honest, we're not that much different in our culture. We're saddened by marriage brokenness and breakups, but we're not shocked. We've come to accept brokenness in the most intimate of relationships as almost being normal. Now, you see, what happened is they took a concession to human sinfulness and they made it the norm. It's a little like trying to learn to, to, to fly a plane by, by following the rules for what do you do in a crash landing. You don't go into marriage expecting it to end in a breakup or a crash. But divorce was so common then that people in today almost expect it to happen. We'll come back to that later. Next, there's the story about the children coming to Jesus. And here's how the world story interacts with our view of people and treatment of people. Jesus says this in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, we often see this as, well, the disciples, they were really obtuse. They, they, they were just pretty dense here. How could, they, how could they keep children from coming to Jesus? I mean, what was going on with those guys? But it's easy to miss the brokenness in these verses because children were not highly valued. They didn't contribute much to the family. Back in Jesus' day and certainly today, they, <laughs> at least materially, they consume a lot of resources but give really very little back in return. Six out of ten kids in Jesus' day died before the age of 16. Children were seen as as almost expendable, the least important members of society. So when people brought their little children to Jesus in verse 13, we can understand why the disciples rebuked him, rebuked them. These children were inconveniences. They were people of little value. I mean, what could they add to the conversation? What could they do to enrich Jesus' life? If we're honest, 
We'll admit that kind of, that's the way it works in our world. We don't like it, but sometimes we can buy into it. People sometimes get ranked upon what they can do for you, uh, how they can help you. Um, you know, and we rank them. And, and those who rank lower on the scale, we spend less time with them or give them less attention or value. Uh, we, we, they can be ranked and treated according to, to where, how they, we think they can help us. We tend to ignore, ignore or write off people who are less important. I mean, walk into a room. One tendency is to size up who's the important person in the room and those who we'd rather avoid. That's part of the world's story. And it was part of the story back then in Jesus' day, and it's part of the story today. Okay, let's move on to the next section in this chapter that was read by, by Cooper earlier. And that's the one about money and success. There's this young man who comes to Jesus. He has a lot going on for him. He's young. That's not bad. Everybody, you know, hey, who wouldn't want to be young? He's rich. That's a plus. He's a good man. He knows the Bible. He knows the commandments. And what's more, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. People would have seen this. And they would assume that God had blessed this man because he was rich and he was moral. He's everything that, that we long to be. Successful, wealthy, good man, no scripture, Jesus loves him. That's like the home run, right, isn't it? I mean, we would be proud to have this man as a member of our church. The disciples must have thought, wow, this is, a, this is an A-plus recruit. This is a blue chipper. This is great. We can get this guy. He's wealthy. He's young. He's a moral man. He's well-respected. Let's get him to be part of our movement. This is awesome. Let's make him a disciple. But then Jesus does the unthinkable. He challenges where his heart is. And he asks him to liquidate his entire net worth and give it all away. And the man is sad and he walks away. And I can imagine the disciples were stunned. Like, don't, don't let him get away. If he can't get into the kingdom, who can? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. And so what we see in these, these three, three exchanges is a complete rejection of the world's story by Jesus. He identifies three things we know to be true in this world, and he completely rejects them. We know that relationships fracture, break apart, even marriages. We know that we can't treat everybody equally, and that some people seem to be less important and can't offer as much as others to us. We understand that the goal is, what, to be a good person, to be successful. But Jesus looks at this, and he challenges his listeners, his disciples, he challenges us. And he's telling us that life in his kingdom is to be much, much different than the story of the world. So what's the kingdom story in reference to these three areas? Before we do that, I'm going to use an analogy. In, in July of 1999, almost 20 years ago, JFK Jr., remember, remember the story? He was piloting a, a private plane and he crashed off of, into the Atlantic Ocean just off of Martha's Vineyard. And the probable cause was pilot error, error they said, spatial disorientation. And one pilot explained what that is. And he says it can happen when you fly by sight only without the proper training. He writes this. 
He says the airplane's flight path creates forces that befuddle one's awareness of, of Earth's gravity. To judge by the sensations in the seat of your pants, you literally can't tell up from down or, or left from right. You're helpless to move out of the airplane's acceleration field, just like you would be if you were pinned to the side of a spinning circus centrifuge when the bottom drops out. And he says the crux of the matter is this. The pilot's emotions and thinking is saying the instruments are wrong. The instruments are wrong. I'm flying straight. I'm flying level. And they listen to that rather than the instruments, and they end up dying. What Jesus is trying to do for us, he's trying to reorient us. He's telling us that when we live according to the world's story, we're flying completely disoriented. And it's going to lead to a crash. It's going to lead to death. And he pulls us from the world's story and begins to orient us to the kingdom story in these three areas. The first is marriage. Jesus essentially says, you're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking when we can divorce, when it's permissible, Jesus says we should be asking what God's original intent and design is for marriage. He says in verse 6, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, he's quoting Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying that in the kingdom, the question that we begin with shouldn't be, when is divorce permissible? The kingdom question is, how can we live into God's design and purpose for marriage? And we know that God's design is intimacy, lifelong commitment, and permanence. Now, in a group this big, I know that there there are many of us who have experienced failure in our marriages. And I'm not here to judge. I know that nobody goes into marriage with the intent of an ending in divorce. People who've gone through that know the pain and the grief of divorce. And there's other things I could say in Scripture that deal with how do we deal with this and work through this and, and that there's grace and forgiveness available and, and so on and so forth. But, and what are the biblical reasons and so on? But we don't have time to get into that. But, but the point is we should be asking the question rather than what's permissible, what's God's design and what's God's purpose, and then try to live into that in our relationships. And not begin with the assumption that, that, that failure is an option. Next, let's look at what Jesus has to say about people when we live into the kingdom story. Jesus said in Mark ten fourteen, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In other words, in the kingdom, the people who matter least to the world, those are the ones who matter a lot to Jesus. I mean, look at how Jesus values people. He values lepers. He values prostitutes. He values Samaritans. He values women who back then weren't valued very much. He values children, the least of the least in society. The kingdom story means welcoming and embracing people who could do nothing for you in return. People that nobody else has time for. Jesus made time for them. Jesus gave them attention. Jesus welcomed and embraced them and pointed them to the love and the grace and the life that comes through Jesus Christ alone. 
In fact, when you look at Scripture, the least powerful and the least wealthy and the least connected often can have a harder time entering the kingdom because of the impediments of, of, of power and wealth and influence, which leads us to the next and last section. In the kingdom, the world's view of success is turned upside down. And we look at this rich, young, good, moral, respected young man this, this, who asked this question of Jesus. And we admire that. We aspire to be that sort of person. But in the kingdom, the very things the world values, if we're not careful, can be impediments to participating in the kingdom story. Jesus said this, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples like, then nobody can get in. It's impossible. And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Now, this causes us to think. It should be sobering because, let's face it, most of us live a lifestyle that even the richest in Jesus' day could never have imagined. And if we're not careful, our, our riches and our success, as we buy into the world's story, can get in the way of living into the kingdom of God. Think about this guy. He comes to Jesus, he's no scripture. It says he's kept many of the commandments, but... He had broken the first commandment. He may have been moral, but he had other gods before the one true God. His wealth. Haddon Robinson says this. It's a good warning for us. For every verse in the Bible that tells us the benefits of wealth, there are ten that tell us the danger of wealth. For money has a way of binding us to what is physical and temporal and blinding us to what is spiritual and eternal. He says, it's a bit like the fly in the flypaper. The fly lands in the flypaper and says, my flypaper. But when the flypaper says, my fly, the fly is dead. And he concludes, it's one thing to have money, another for money to have you. And when that happens, it will kill you. Another way to put it, it's difficult for a person to have riches and not to love them. It's difficult for a person to have riches and not be proud of them, their success. It's difficult for a person to have riches and not be corrupted by them. It's difficult for a person to have riches and not trust in them. As Charles Simeon puts it, to place our confidence in anything but God is certain ruin. And that's where this good, moral, rich, young man got tripped up. So how do we make the transition from the world story to a living according to the kingdom story. And really one of the keys here is to do a contrast between two of the characters in this chapter. There's the rich man. He has everything. He's moral. He's rich. He's young. He's successful. He walks away. His face was sad because he had great wealth. But there's another set of characters in the story. That's the children, the little children. Again, Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he laid his hands on the children, and it says he blessed them. So Jesus says we have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom. What does he mean by that? What's he mean? We become innocent, 
gullible, naive to the ways of the world? Does it mean we're spontaneous and playful, giggle a lot? I believe what Jesus identifies is none of those qualities. They're not bad qualities, but the essential quality necessary for entering the kingdom of God. What it means to be like a child is to be helpless, is to be dependent, is to be needy. Because in this story, the children are not blessed for their virtues, but they're blessed for what they lack. They come only as they are, small and powerless, with no claims, no credit, no clout, open hands, open palms, helpless. J.R. Edwards sums it up this way. A little child has nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherent in him or herself. Little children are disciples. That's the sort of disciples we should aspire to be. Empty hands, needy, dependent, helpless. So this morning, Jesus challenges us as his disciples to move from living according to the world story to move into living according to the kingdom story. To value and cherish our relationships and marriages. To treat others as special, created in God's image, not ranking or treating people according to what they can do for us or not. And to and to hold loosely onto any money or success and put our trust and our security in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, as just as a little child approaches a father. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful uh, that You are a God of grace and mercy. And Lord, we come into Your presence and we, we confess that it's so easy to fall into habits where we are living according to the world story. And so, Lord, we confess that and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we want to be people who live according to your kingdom and its values, to cherish and value our marriages, to treat people and see people as you do, uh, Lord, and to, and to put our security in you and, and what you've done for us on the cross and not our own success or goodness morality, or resources. So, Lord, we come to you now as little children. We come to you with no credit and no claims and no clout, just empty-handed, helpless, dependent upon you and you alone for life, for forgiveness, for grace, for love. So, Lord, we thank you and we turn to you in Jesus' powerful, precious name. Amen.